Hi, this is Anna East Eden. You're listening to Hollywood and Beyond with your host, Stephen Brittingham. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. blindfolds in place? Very well then. Ask yourselves, what is wrong with this sentence? He who laughs last, laughs good. <laughs> Holy grammar, is that all? He who laughs last, laughs best, not good. Best, best, best. Do you suppose blindfold might have something to do with it? Uh, if I may venture an opinion, sir, I think Master Dick may have put his finger on it. Blindfold? Uh, no, sir. Grammar. The sentence was grammatically incorrect. One does not laugh good, sir. One laughs well. Why, that's it, Alfred. Laughs well. Laugh well. Professor James J. Laughwell. Holy safari! The one that just got back from Africa with a collection of rare masks and objects of art. That's where the blindfold part would come in, sir. And they're being stored at the last longer warehouse. To the Batmobile. Girls being frozen in that caviar. Hit them, boys! My first royalty check! Scope. Holy miscast. Holy cliffhangers. Holy history. Holy bullseye. Holy armadillos. Holy cryptology. Holy trampoline. Holy fork in the road. Holy titanic. Holy Houdini. Holy funny woman. Holy chutzpah. Holy clockworks. Holy honeycorn. Holy dead end. Holy bankruptcy. Holy stomach aches. Holy madness. Holy remote control robot. Holy frankincense. Holy stewpot. Holy wedding cake. Holy Hollywood. Hello, friends and listeners. Welcome to a special episode of Hollywood and Beyond with Stephen Brittingham. This just happens to be me, your host. Thank you for listening and welcome to the show, everybody. If you happen to turn on the television back in the 1960s, chances are you would find plenty of high-quality and amazing shows to watch. Bewitched, The Beverly Hillbillies, Gilligan's Island, I Dream of Jeannie, and so much more. Classic television, classic Hollywood, 
no doubt about it. One of those shows was full of extra amounts of action and adventure, fun and mayhem, Batman. Airing on ABC between 1966 to 1968, the crime-fighting duo of Batman and Robin, portrayed by Adam West and Burt Ward, thrills audiences to this very day. A few decades later, while growing up in the 80s, I cherished viewing the reruns and think of the show fondly today. Holy Hollywood, friends and listeners, my special guest today is the man behind the boy wonder, Burt Ward. Burt Ward, welcome to the show, sir. Hello, citizen. Well, wonderful to be speaking with you today. Uh, such an honor to have you on the show. Well, thank you. It's great to be on your show. I'm very excited about your new show. Bert, before we discuss um, your adventures on uh, Batman, I thought I would ask where you are from and when did you first decide to become an actor? Well, uh, Robin, of course, was from Gotham City, but uh, Bert Ward was from Beverly Hills, California. I grew up... Uh, with a father that uh, owned a traveling ice show, and my father believed in an early work ethic. So at age two, he put me in the show as a skater, and I became the first professional ice skater under the age of two. Wow. Now that's very interesting. And I also learned that um, uh, you have a background with martial arts. Exactly, yes. Uh, well, I before I got the series, I was uh, had been studying um, martial arts, karate, uh, since, uh, well, in the early 60s, and uh, was a brown belt at the time I tried out for Batman, later on got a black belt, uh, and uh, actually, in the last uh, couple of years, I was inducted into the International Karate and Kickboxing Hall of Fame, which was a great honor. In addition, a piece of bat trivia for you is that... Uh, I lived in the same condominium complex as Bruce Lee. And uh, in fact, Bruce Lee's first filmed fight scene of his career was fighting me. That is amazing. That, that is something extra special to uh, be a part of that uh, film moment, no doubt about it. We had a lot of fun on Batman. It was a very exciting show. It was uh, a lot of action. And uh, I mean, who wouldn't want to ride in the Batmobile, climb walls, fight heinous villains? Uh, although the um, those uh, episodes were actually quite dangerous, and uh, filming Batman was uh, uh, a real heart stopper at some points. Oh, I can only imagine uh, with all of the uh, action and stunts and and all the mayhem going on or, that you could find on just about every episode, of course. And I'm very curious, Bert, if you uh, 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 backstep just a little bit. Uh, I believe that you were training for acting. Uh, right before you got this audition. So my question to you is, could you share the memories of the audition process? Because I'm sure that that was uh, quite an experience for you. Yes, it was. Uh, although I, I don't think I had uh, what you would call a traditional uh, interview experience. Uh, I was uh, studying acting uh, both at UCLA and with a professional coach. And on the weekends, I was assisting my father, who was in real estate, after, uh, after a number of years of running the ice, uh, the ice show that I skated in. Uh, and uh, he, uh, he had me sit on a house, as they call it, uh, 
and a very well-known producer came by, looked at a house and ultimately purchased the house. And I had spoken to him and asked him if he'd be kind enough to watch a scene that I wanted to show him. He did. And he said, look, you know, uh, let me see if I can help you. Let me send you to an agent. So I went to see the agent he recommended, who first thing said to me, I can't get work for the actors I've got. I would never consider taking anybody new. And if it wasn't for this producer calling me, I wouldn't be taking you. So I'm going to take you, but don't expect to work for a year. And if you do get a job, you're probably going to get one line. I, I said, okay, all right. And uh, of course, the first thing I tried out for was the part of Robin. Uh, the, the actual interview, I, I, I didn't even know what I was trying out for. I just got a call from these agents who said, uh, tomorrow afternoon at 4.30, you've got to go over to 20th Century Fox. They have something going on. And you go to see this particular casting director. So I said, sure. And uh, I went to see uh, the casting director at the studio. And uh, he said, um, gee, he said, uh, uh, you look kind of, uh, you know, interesting for this part. Would you like to meet the executive producer? And I said, sure. I figured everybody got to meet the executive producer, which actually isn't true. But I didn't know that. So I went in and I was introduced to William Dozier, the executive producer. And uh, I guess because I hadn't been struggling and trying out and being rejected that I was perhaps more confident than some of the actors that might have interviewed. But I just came in. I said, hello, sir. And I shook his hand, looked right in his eye. I think it kind of surprised him. And he looked at me and he said, you know, you're kind of big for this part. And I said, oh, sir, I promise you, I won't grow anymore. <laughs> and he laughed, you know, <laughs> and uh, he said, uh, would you like to uh, try uh, for a screen test? Would you like to, you know, do a screen test? And I said, sure. I figured everybody got to do a screen test. Well, that's not true either. But I didn't know that. So a few weeks later, I went to 20th Century Fox and I still had no idea what the part was. And I was given a few pages of dialogue that all it said on there uh, other than the dialogue, was Bruce and Dick. Didn't say Bruce Wayne, didn't say Dick Grayson, didn't say Batman, didn't say anything other than just Bruce and Dick with some dialogue. And I was introduced to another actor named Adam West. And uh, before we did our screen test together, I talked to him for about, oh, about 10 minutes. And after five minutes, the two of us were laughing, got along so great. And in fact, uh, we never stopped laughing uh, all these years, been very, very dear friends. So uh, I did the screen test uh, again. It was just dialogue. OK, and there wasn't any anything involved other than just my own regular clothes. And then I said, well, thank you very much. And I started to leave. They said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We're not done with you yet. I said, oh, really? They said, yeah. They said, uh, we want you to go over to the other side of the soundstage. There is a dressing trailer there and there's two wardrobe men who are going to help you get dressed. I said, well, um, I'm perfectly capable of dressing myself. <laughs> oh, no, no, you just don't understand. You don't understand. You just go over there, and they'll meet you there, and then you come back here after you get dressed. I figured, okay, all right. So I went over there, and I went into the room, and sure enough, there was two gentlemen there waiting, and they had a kind of a, a looked like a bed, but it was more of a giant couch. And they said, uh, uh, I said to them, I said, look, uh, all this stuff here. I said, am I going to wear some of this? They said, no, you're going to wear all of it. I said, what? <laughs> and oh, my gosh, I put on that costume, the most uncomfortable costume 
you could even imagine in your worst nightmare. The most uncomfortable costume. And I could barely walk in this costume. And as I headed out the door, I turn. I remember distinctly turning and mentioning to these two guys, I said, well, the only good news here is that after another 15 or 20 minutes, I'll be back here and I'll never have to put on that costume again. <laughs> Famous last <laughs> word. Wow. So that, uh, that was a screen test. And, and of course, uh, Adam was dressed in and, and the, the Batman. But you see, I had never read Batman as a child because where I lived, there was no Batman comic books. There was Superman. There was Superboy. But there's no Batman. So I had no idea what this was. And uh, so anyway, I did the screen test and six weeks go by. And during the six weeks, I got phone calls uh, from the studio asking, oh, what's your shoe size? Uh, what's your belt size? What's your hat size? Well, I don't wear a hat. Well, go get your head measured, you know. And I'm wondering, why are they calling me asking all these questions? And then I got a message left for me that I was to get in touch with uh, these agents that um, they had contracts for me to sign. I said, great, I'm going to finally have a formal representation agreement with this agency. So I went in to sign them, sat down at their offices, looked down, and didn't say the name of their, their agency. It said 20th Century Fox on the contracts. And I couldn't figure out, why. what's this got to do with it? And they said, well, don't you know you got the part? I said, no, I, nobody told me. They, they said, you mean the studio didn't tell you you got the, the role? I said, no. And, and later on, when I met the people at the studio again, they said, you mean your agent didn't tell you? So I had, of, of the six weeks that I waited, four of the six weeks, I had the part, but nobody told me. Oh, my. Wow. Well, you, uh, you, you received quite a, 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 a wonderful surprise then, didn't you? When you finally got the official news that, hey, you've got the part. Exactly. And um, <laughs> I recall meeting, seeing the executive producer who <clears throat> congratulated me. And he said to me, would you like to know why we selected you from the more than 1,100 young men that we interviewed? And I said, wow, 1,100 young men that they interviewed? I said, yes, sir. I, I, I'd like to know. He said, well. He said, the reason we picked you, Bert, is because in our minds, forgetting television, forgetting uh, acting for a moment, if there really was a Robin, I mean, for real, we think you personally would be it. So we don't want you to, quote, act. We want you to be yourself and be enthusiastic. That's what we want. And that's what I did for 120 episodes. That is absolutely amazing, Bert. Uh, thank you for sharing all of that. So your your positive attitude, your good energy, I mean, that really paid off for you uh, in this audition process. I mean, it was huge. Exactly. And so, you know, and then through the years when I've done other Batman projects and, and in the last two years, I've done two animated features I've provided the voice of Robin for, people, some people would say to me, well... Was it hard for you to get back in the role? I said, of course not. I said, because that was me. You know, I wasn't uh, doing a role. I was portraying me. And when we actually filmed, um, because there was so many effects on Batman, so many special effects, that the producers and the crew were so occupied, okay, trying to, uh, trying to get those effects to work properly, that other than 
saying our lines, and other than being in the location we were directed to be, such as, you know, in the Batcave or in the Batmobile, other than that, Adam and I could basically do what we wanted, and we did. And I think it is that very special chemistry that Adam and I had as we worked together that created people to really love the characters and love our show. Absolutely. That chemistry was fantastic. There was that connection, that bond. You felt that the characters genuinely respected and cared for each other. Um, I, I have to ask you, though, so you didn't have knowledge in advance of Batman, which um, I was not aware of. So, wow. What did you do, uh, Bert? Did you get uh, someone to say, hey, here's the story of Batman as we know it in comics? Or did you go out and buy a whole bunch? Well, um, I, I did buy a couple of comic books, but actually what the dialogue that I had and the uniqueness of the scenes that were written, Adam and I just portrayed those. Uh, and uh, as a result of that, it just worked. And the comedy, the you see, for, for kids, it was hero worship. I mean, riding the Batmobile, climbing walls, fighting heinous villains. For adults, it was the nostalgia of the comic book. For teenagers, though, and college kids, it was the the double meanings, the campy style, the kind of putting people on, that, and they loved it. So uh, we basically did what we wanted, and we used the dialogue and with our own interpretations and brought the characters to life in such a way that for kids it was hero worship, but for everybody else it was like, Hmm, are they putting me on <laughs> or what? Now, was ad-libbing encouraged or was it like we really got to stick to the scripts here? Well, we, we didn't look at it like that. We looked at it like anything we can get away with, we will. And which we did. And yes. so there were scenes that there was only one or two sentences in the scene. It was a short scene. And yet Adam and I, as Batman and Robin, would continue the conversation, you know, completely impromptu, you know, without any uh, encouragement. And we did it in such a convincing way that sometimes it would go on for like maybe 30 seconds or a minute, which is actually quite long for a scene, before the director would say, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is not in the script. What are you guys doing? You know? <laughs> That's that's just fantastic. Now, you mentioned that it could be dangerous at times. Well, anybody that's seen an episode of, of Batman can understand what you're uh, meaning by that. So did people often get uh, accidentally injured or did you experience that yourself while filming some of these uh, action-packed scenes? Well, very simply put, uh, yes, there was a lot of danger. Most of it was directed at me. Oh, and... The reason, not intentionally, of course, sure. but uh, uh, because I wore a mask, a uh, very small mask over my eyes. It really didn't hide much. You know what I'm saying? That, um, and, and the person, they did have a stuntman for me, okay, but unfortunately, he didn't look like me. And so, therefore, they almost never could use him. And I, I, I kept saying, I don't understand this. I mean, I'm having to do my own stunts here. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, and I'm the one that's going to the hospital while my stuntman is having coffee with Adam West. Why is that? <laughs> yeah, how does that work said, out there? <laughs> well, Bert, we're sorry, but, you know, 
you, you know, he just doesn't look like you. And I said, well, why didn't you hire somebody that does? We couldn't find anybody, they said. Oh, so as a result, uh, I didn't do all of my own stunts, but I did the ones where it was close enough that you could recognize me, you know? Sure thing. And I always think of the word pal and, and all those other words during some of those uh, uh, famous fist fights on the show. I, really, one of my favorite moments was those big time fist fights. So much fun. They, they were. They were actually. Now, that, that is what the stuntmen choreographed for days because those are long fight scenes. Yes, and they, are. they did the wide shots, but I did the close up stuff. I was like, wow, these some of these scenes are just going on and on. I mean, uh, d lots of action, lots of fun. Now, um, yeah, you mentioned the Batmobile earlier. Obviously, that has to be quite the thrill to uh, take a spin in. But, I mean, could you just describe what, you know, is it uh, um, uh, like a comfortable fit when you get in? Is it just right? I mean, what is the experience like to, to, to drive around in the Batmobile? Well, the Batmobile that we had was designed for filming, meaning that the exterior was just like any other Batmobile, if you will. But interior-wise, um, it didn't have all of the um, accoutrements that you would have enjoyed if you had a real car because they had to get cameras inside there and they had to get lights inside there. So it was kind of bare bones on the inside, but beautiful on the outside. And um, it was very fast, actually. And Adam drove it very fast. And when he didn't drive it, uh, because there were certain very dangerous scenes, they had a stuntman drive it. And I'll never forget him telling me, the stuntman, one time that uh, that actually the more broken bones he got, the more salary he got. So oh I, I, I could see his uh, his incentive uh, for for dangerous stunts, but I was the one that had to ride with him. <laughs> Collateral damage. You had you had to go along, didn't you? Exactly. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I'm just curious. Obviously, this probably has a lot to do with the writers, no doubt. But the backstory to the phrase holy, uh, obviously, your character says it a, a lot. And um, it's something that's uh, always uh, very enjoyable to, to wait and hear Robin say. Is there a backstory to that? Was it someone's idea in general? Uh, well, uh, I... The, the the dialogue that was written for me um, was uh, written by actually 32 different writers over the course of the series, and it was a characterization of an exclamation that, you know, was used to emphasize the energy level and stuff like that. And for the most part, uh, they were accurately written, but some of the writers didn't really have the Batman style that Adam and I had, so I was able to change them. Uh, there was actually 300 and about 387 of them. And, and then when you count the Batman movie, we did over 400 holies, uh, <laughs> holy this and holy that. And, uh, and people, uh, you know, they really picked up on that and it became something that was very entertaining to uh, viewers. And no doubt about it. It sure was. And that was one reason why I selected that phrase at the introduction segment of the episode today, because your character did in fact say, Holy Hollywood once, and it just seemed to make sense. So I'm glad I added that. And I do want to ask you about a lady. I'm very um, uh, interested in hearing your thoughts about her. Uh, speaking of, um, a, a, you know, crime duo and a sidekick, uh, you could certainly add her to the mix on the show, and that would be Yvonne Craig, who sadly passed away a few years ago. Uh, what was your memories of working with her? 
Oh, Yvonne was very nice, a lot of fun, great humor, just the sweetest person. After the series, she actually came out to our house to visit my wife and I and and our rescue dogs. Uh, as you know, we operate the largest giant breed dog rescue in the world, General Giant. And uh, she just came out, and boy, did she got all uh, uh, gooed up from the loving kisses of all these dogs. So it was, uh, it was. She was very, very nice, and always a pleasure to work with, and and just a very much a professional. Well, that's wonderful. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, warms the heart to hear that. Thank you. I'm also uh, very excited to ask you about this question because, Bert, um, you are really um, one of the true individuals to ask this question, um, other than, of course, uh, family. But uh, when you think back with your time with, with Adam West, what did you admire most about Adam as an actor, but also as a man, as a person? Well, as an actor, he was um, had a, an amazing sense of comedy. Uh, drama is a lot easier to do than comedy. Drama, it's easy to be serious in a serious world that we live in. But to truly have a sense of humor and to be able to convey that sense of humor to people universally is a talent that Adam was an expert with. And in so many today, uh, you know, these comedians that stand up and end up using swear words, try to be funny when what they have to say itself isn't funny. Compare that to someone like Adam West, who didn't have to ever use uh, bad language and had people just roaring with laughter because of his wonderful sense of comedic timing and his wonderful comedic personality. So I admire that mentally about him. Absolutely. Absolutely. A very talented man. Um, and, and this is a, a really great time to ask you this question. So as you know, unfortunately, there are individuals in the industry that can become typecasted because they're so good at one type of rule. But they, they made an impact. Maybe like in your case and with Adam, iconic. So uh, my question to you is, I'm sure that this is also a blessing because you got to be a part of something special. But what about the other side? Is it frustrating that maybe you want to branch out and try something completely different? And yet that seems to be a, a there seems to be roadblocks because of the, the typecasting. Well, you know, I never looked at it like that. And in fact, I've starred in 40 movies for television and uh, I've had a very wonderful career. Uh, I will say this, though, that, um, the, uh, you know, the way I look at it is this. Imagine a glass, if you will, that is full. It could be full with a whole bunch of different projects, or it could be full with a major projects and a series of other accompanying projects. Either way, the glass is full. My life as a performer is totally full, and the the character and my portrayal and the love that people exhibit when they, uh, you know, meet me to talk about the uh, about Batman and their growing up years and formative years, you know, it's 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 wonderful. So yes, there were times that I wish that I could have gotten a certain role here or there, but uh, overall, I've had a fantastic time. Yes, that that's a wonderful approach. See, there's your your positive uh, attitude and energy still there today, and I think that's absolutely wonderful. Um, well, before we discuss uh, something um, uh, very uh, compassionate and very important um, about regarding gentle giants, I did want to ask you, um, did you ever have a favorite villain 
that maybe you looked forward to having on the show? Or was there uh, certain uh, co-stars, guest stars that would appear that, that you uh, really enjoyed working with uh, in particular? I loved all of them. I mean, you have to understand, we had some of the greatest actors and actresses on Batman. These are people that I grew up watching either uh, on television or in film. And I was awed by them and awed to be able to even have the opportunity to work with them. So for me, it was uh, it was excellent and uh, had a great time doing it. And and and, you know, working with people like Vincent Price, you know, who was yes. Egghead, Frank Gorshin, Cesar Romero, Burgess Meredith, uh, um, you know, Julie Newmar, Leanne yes. Merriweather. So many great actors and actresses. It was just a, an amazing, uh, amazing time. I, I like your answer, Bert, uh, all of them, because when you just uh, look at that list of uh, talented people that you mentioned, it would be really almost impossible to just choose one. So I'm very excited to hear that. I did want to ask you, um, uh, as we wrap up our discussion on Batman, and thank you for sharing those heartfelt memories Really enjoy listening to your answers. Why wasn't Batman on the air longer? Well, when we made Batman, it was a very expensive show to make. Okay. And there were um, the tremendous costs involved because the crew was gigantic. Uh, and it was, um, I mean, we had like a double sized crew of people. And uh, so <clears throat> the studios, I understood it. Uh, now, this is back in 19. 66, 67, 68, when we were making the series, they were actually losing money and to the tune of about $300,000 a week, which is a lot of money, especially over 120 episodes. Wow, so, yes. um, right. So that at, at, at one point, it became financially, I guess, opportune for them to say, you know, we've made 120 episodes, we have enough programming to 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 run for years uh you know let's just uh let's just wind up the series and sell it into reruns and get our money back and so it was a business decision you know i mean they they call it show business for a reason you yes. know it is a business there is another side to it um well what do you think was so extra special about that decade there just seemed to be so many fun and high quality shows Yes, those, listen, there were, it was a great period of time, amazing shows on television, and uh, people grew up, and, and it was a kinder, gentler world, if you know what I mean. Yes, and people still uh, treasure them today, and I think that that says, it says everything right there. Um, and, and then new people discover it as time goes along, and that's, that's extra special. Well, we have something also very uh, special to, to discuss, and that has to do with... Uh, Gentle Giants, dog food and products. So, Bert, you are the best person to explain this. So if there's someone out there listening today that has never heard of, of Gentle Giants, could you uh, please uh, share the um, uh, what Gentle Giants is all about? Well, um, for the last 24 years, my wife and I have rescued more than 15,500 dogs in 24 years. Every one of these dogs would have been put to death if we weren't there to save them on their last day at an animal shelter. Uh, we love dogs. And as you know, dogs are loving. They're, my goodness, there's 80 million in the United States and some 67 million households. And we just couldn't let these big dogs die. 
And in the course of saving so many lives over so many years, because dogs traditionally have a short lifespan, especially the giants like mastiffs and Irish wolfhounds that have a six to eight year lifespan, a great Dane, six, uh, seven to nine years that when we would lose one, my wife and I would literally sob. And we, we vowed that if there was a way, we would find a way to help them live longer because people love their dogs and the dogs are so loving to their masters. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's a wonderful thing. So we, uh, because of having so many in our house, we've always had about 50 or more in our home over the last 24 years. And that's quite something, you know, they're not, they're not living in some other building or in some other location. They're living in our house with us that we had developed feeding and care techniques that we found could actually significantly increase their lifespan. So we developed this feeding and care program where on average dogs will live an extra three years or more just by the way you feed and care for them. That, which is pretty dramatic in the case of a Great Dane that traditionally lives seven to nine years, it now lives uh, 10 to 12 years. That is absolutely so, amazing. Yeah, so we uh, we developed that. And then because there's such loving animals, all dogs, that mm. we, we said, look, maybe there's something more we can do. So we thought because we love these dogs, we wanted to give them every ounce of extra life that we could, that if we made the best food that we could possibly make, that maybe we could pull out another year, year and a half for each dog. Well, we went and had food designed by the top um, pet nutritionists we could find, worked with several different companies in developing our specific food that is different from other dog foods. And in the course of doing that, we found out something that was so devastating to us that we never got over it, which is dog food companies actually know something the average person doesn't know, which is the more fat content you put in dog food, the hungrier it makes dogs. In my opinion, uh, dog food is made for profit. It's not made because people love dogs so much. It's made for profit. And for any of your listeners out there, whatever food they're feeding their dog, if they look in the back of the bag, by federal law, there's a chart called guaranteed analysis. It's required by federal law. And the first item on that chart is protein. The second is crude fat. Well, crude fat is just what it sounds like. It's crude fat, and it's not healthy. And if you look on the back of your bag of dog food, for example, you're going to find that people, they, they, they see a 12 to 22% crude fat. And that has been added. We don't put any extra fat in our food. And as a result, our food has only 9% fat. Everybody else is 12 to 22. And you might say, well, okay, does that make much of a difference? Yes, it makes a huge difference because fat contains toxins, not poisons, toxins, and which cause irritation. That's why you hear about so many people that say, I've tried every dog food. I've tried grain-free. I've tried with grain. I've tried beef and chicken and venison and, and salmon and quail and everything else. And their dog still scratches and still itches. And the problem is that they never got away from the problem, which wasn't the, that ingredient. It was the high fat content in the food. So when dogs eat gentle giants, those things disappear. 
uh, the, the, the irritations, the sensitive stomachs, the, all the kinds of things that cause people stress because they see their animal under stress, those things go away. But even more important than that, and that's very important, is the fact that because dogs love the smell and taste of meat, but they don't like the smell and taste of fat, what happens is when dog food companies put all this fat in dog food, they have a problem getting dogs to eat it. But they found a solution. After they make the food, put all this fat in it, they then spray the outside of the food with another kind of fat, chicken fat, that dogs will eat to cover up the smell of the fat on the inside of the food. So what do you end up with? You'd end up with a double whammy of non-nutritious fat. And that's pretty horrible. And for anybody that has a dog, all I say is go feel your dog's food, rub it in your fingers, and then put the kibble down and rub your fingers together. You're going to feel a slightly greasy feeling. Well, I explained to people, Steve, you know, you would never take bacon grease and pour down your garbage disposal at home because it would ruin it. It would clog it and you'd end up having to buy a new garbage disposal. So if you can understand that animal fat will ruin a metal garbage disposal, what is it doing to the intestines and arteries of the dog you love when every single kibble your dog eats? is completely encapsulated in grease. It's a terrible thing. It so when really we have is. dogs living when we have dogs living up to 27 years and people say well how can you do that that must be some kind of magic or I mean how can this be it, it's not magic. It's just simple science. You just don't prematurely kill dogs by what you feed them. And you know it, it's true when you feed a fatty food to a dog that makes them hungrier and hungrier and hungrier. You know, there was a great human example I like to use about eight years ago. Uh, Morgan Spurlock, a man walked into a McDonald's in Ohio, ate every meal in that McDonald's for a month. He gained 55 pounds and almost died. And they made a movie about him yes. called Super Size Me. It's the exact same principle. It, exactly the same. I see. So when people say to us, well, how, what, how is your food different from everybody else's? Well, there's lots of reasons. One of them I've already mentioned is it doesn't have all the grease on it. It doesn't have the grease on the inside or on the outside that other dog foods have. And it wasn't designed to make dogs hungrier. And, you know, you've heard the terms, Steve, stress kills, right? Stress kills. Well, what happens if you make an animal continually hungry? It shortens their lifespan. So what we've done is we've made a food, and, and by the way, this is our charity. My wife and I own the company. We take no salary from this. We don't take any salary. This is not about money. This is about loving animals, and our food is all natural. It's the best of the best, and in fact, uh, we're in all the Walmarts in America, and uh, we went to Walmart. And we said, look, we're going to basically sell you this food at our cost. We want everybody in America who has a dog to have their dog have a chance to live as long as our dogs are living. And they thought that was a great idea. I mean, you know, the best yes. for the least amount, right? And in fact, if, if your listeners were to go into a pet food store and ask to see an all natural food like General Giants, okay, they would find that our food is priced at less than half the cost of what you would pay in a pet store. 
for a food that won't keep your dog living 27 years because it's got, you know, all kinds of fat in it. And, and not every dog lives 27 years, but we consistently have them living, you know, into their late teens, early, mid, and late 20s, depending on the dog. So our motto is, regarding our dog food, half the price and twice the life. I'll tell you what, that's, that is just absolutely wonderful. And I really appreciate you sharing that uh, for the listeners and for myself. Um, that is just absolutely wonderful. Something that's done out of compassion and love. And um, a lot of people out there might be surprised that own dogs that, that they love very much, but just didn't realize the complexities for dog food. Absolutely. Isn't that and, something and actually, else? <clears throat> yes, there, and there's more to it. We have a website, GentleGiantsDogFood.com, in which we explain in detail our feeding and care program. And on top of that, on the back of every bag of our food, on the back of every can of our canned food, is our phone number. And we get about 1,100 inquiries a week from people asking questions about our food, how to feed, and we help everybody. And it's free. You know, you can't beat the price. So uh, this, this is our charity. It's our life's work. I mean, you know, I did very well on Batman. I could be off on some you know, perpetual vacation, but my wife and I choose to help animals. And just even by the way you feed and care for dogs, I, I want your listeners, if they have time, go to GentleGiantsDogFood.com, go to our special feeding and care page and read about how we do it because they can apply it. Your listeners can apply it to their dogs and, and extend their dog's life just like we've done here. In fact, most recently, I spoke to my wife, and I think as of right now, here in our rescue of the 50, approximately 50 dogs we have here, 24 of these dogs, 24, have already lived more than twice their normal lifespan. Now, Steve, that's consistency. That's not an anomaly. That's consistency. And we owe it to the fact that we have a way to feed and care for them that doesn't prematurely wear their bodies out. And we have a food that provides them incredible nutrition without putting on extra weight, without making them stress to always be hungry, because I'm sure you've heard the term, stress kills. And yes. our dogs live a very loving, nurtured life. And, and that's how we do it. And we do it every single day. My wife personally cares for the 50 dogs we have here. And believe me, they're all over. <laughs> People say, oh, you probably have them in this one area. And oh, no, they're all that. We have a great video on our website. If you're, again, if you're, you're, your listeners go to GentleGiantsDogFood.com, the first thing they're going to see is a video of my wife in bed with 27 of them. Wow. And these are really <laughs> big dogs. Believe me, yes. you get 27 giants, uh, up to 300 pounds, some of them. Uh, uh, onto your bed, it's like, uh, it's quite an experience. Oh, I bet it is. I tell you what, Bert, uh, I am going to help spread the word of Gentle Giants. And uh, I mean that sincerely. I'm going to post information on the Hollywood and Beyond social media pages. I'm going to do all that I can personally when I'm speaking with people to help spread all that you just shared. You, you know, because people love their dogs. And, and, and one more thing, I, I'd like to mention, we do have a Facebook page. It's called Gentle Giants Dog Food and Products. And 
my, my wife gets all these inquiries every day. She answers everyone. Sometimes I answer them. And people have real questions about how to feed and care for their dog and what to do and when to go to a vet and when you don't have to go to a vet and things like that. And, and there's not a lot of free help out there with somebody that's really knowledgeable that has cared for so many thousands of animals in their own home 24-7. So we're, we're pretty th- thrilled about that. Well, I have to say that my respect for you has just grown in the millions where it was already added, and that was pretty high for you and well, your wife. Thanks, um, you know, I, I, listen, Steve, I do get one complaint. Okay, once okay, in a while me. I get this complaint. i got to share this with you. Sure. I have people that say to me, they say, you know, you and your wife are so crazy about helping animals that you live night and day to help dogs live longer and healthier and happier. Why don't you do anything for humans? And I say, wait a minute, wait a minute. If I help you keep your dog an extra five to up to 10 years longer, don't you think I've done something for you? They go, oh, yeah, well, I never thought of that. Well, that well said, Bert, because you are correct. Our furry friends can mean so much to us. And I grew up with a dog growing up, and uh, she lived to be 16. And you know what? That was uh, that's quite a bit for a dog in many ways, but just it, imagine it is, her living another ten considering years. Considering the food you were feeding, and our yes. case of our own daughter, my wife and I, Tracy, and I have our daughter, and she grew up with. We got her an American Eskimo when she was a year and a half, and for more than twenty years, she's had the same dog with him. What a great thing for a kid to grow up and have their best friend with them for more than 20 years. And, you know, a lot of people get a dog for their child growing up because they think, oh, what a great thing, a companion for their for their son or their daughter. But unfortunately, because of the way dogs are fed and cared for and the food they eat, they don't live very long. And a lot of people end up having to explain death to a 10 or 12-year-old child about losing their dog when if they properly fed and cared for the dog, they could have the same result that we've had with our daughter who's had her dog more than 20 years. Same dog. Same dog, yeah. That You are correct about that. That, that. that I mean, like you said, you are actually helping humans by helping uh, their furry friends. Uh, no doubt about it. And I just commend you and your wife and, and, and the uh, focus of Gentle Giants so much. And I'm going to do all I can to, to spread the word and I I thought that uh, before we wrap things up, Bert, uh, there's a, a, a great museum there in Hollywood. You probably know what I'm going to say, the Hollywood Museum. And I hear that there's a special exhibit about to uh, uh, be presented there soon. Well, actually, we have had there a fantastic, complete recreation of Batman, a Batman exhibit there. It's been there a couple of months, but they're going to be unveiling some new characters lifelike and i mean just so realistic uh and um that will you know and this is all coming in the next couple of weeks uh so for any of your um listeners that ever get a chance to come out to los angeles come to the hollywood museum it's one of the most famous places in hollywood it's got artifacts from every major movie and star you can imagine Plus, it's got this fantastic Batman exhibit with the Batmobile, with wow. the with the, with with our 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 Bat car, sidecar, and uh, a Bat cycle, with even parts of the Bat copter 
I mean, it's it, and all the scripts and and details about all the episodes and the costumes, not just my costume and Batman's costume, but the villains and villainesses' costumes, and and completely the real ones, and right next to them's real create uh, cre- creations of what they look like exactly at the time. But to see the ones that were really worn, it's a piece of history, and then to see what they look like next to them, it's it's really entertaining. It's, it, you could spend days there just, you know, absorbing this. And for so many people who grew up watching Batman, it is like a fantastic, you know, memory for them. Sounds like so much fun, Bert. Uh, I'll tell you what, uh, I would love to check that out myself. Uh, it just sounds like so much fun and full of facts and information. And um, I want to thank you for your time today. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, I thought I would end by asking you this. With all of the new sure. Batman movies that have followed since uh, ABC aired the original Batman television show, did ba- um, uh, Adam West and yourself have a certain opinion about uh, uh, all of the trilogies that have followed on the silver screen over the years? Well, I think Adam and I had great respect for Warner Brothers, what they've done with the with the characters, and they made some great movies. I mean, spectacular. They spent hundreds of millions of dollars and they're wonderfully entertaining they're different than what we did because they those movies are made for a theater audience uh not necessarily for young children whereas our television programming was for all ages and you know they have the dark night in the movie theaters and adam used to like to say that he was the bright night so i think there's a place for all this programming i think warner brothers has done an amazing job and uh uh, I've done two wonderful animated features with them, and it's been a pleasure working with them. And, you know, the characters live on. And, I mean, if you think about it, why do we have all these superhero movies? Because originally it was Batman and Robin, in my opinion. It was our TV series that launched the interest in superheroes to become both movies and television shows. Absolutely. You guys definitely um, got the ball uh, ball rolling, so to speak, and uh, that's so well said. And Burt Ward, I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. This has been uh, such an honor and a highlight for me uh, speaking with you today. Well, thank you, citizen, to the Batmobile. Absolutely. Sounds fantastic. And I want to thank uh, not only my special guest, Burt Ward, today. I want to thank all of the listeners out there. And I would like to add the following, that even though decades have gone by since Adam West and Burt Ward first crossed our television screens as Batman and Robin, my guest today is living proof that he is still a hero today. And he is a voice for those who are unable to speak. And that's our furry friends. Well, this is host Stephen Brittingham. I'm feeling not only like a kid again, but I'm feeling very inspired, all thanks to my special guest, I will catch you on another episode of Hollywood and Beyond. Hi, friends and listeners. This is host Stephen Brittingham. Do you happen to have a question or a comment for me? Or perhaps you feel that you might make an interesting guest here on Hollywood and Beyond. Whatever your reason may be, please feel free to contact me anytime directly at the show's official email address. That would be Hollywood and Beyond Show at gmail.com. That is Hollywood and Beyond Show 
at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you soon.